Well, good morning, LifePoint. Today we kick off a new series, which means we have a brand new memory verse. Let me introduce it to you, and then I'm going to ask you to say it with me. It's out of John chapter 10, verse 10. It simply says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. This is a profound truth. Let's memorize it together. Would you stand with me, LifePoint, and let's say it out loud together as it shows up on the screen. Say this with me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you're here with us right now. And Lord, the deepest desire in every single human in this room right now is to know you more. Lord, in this series, may we take a step toward that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated if you would. It's so good to see you here this morning. Here's what we're going to do in this series, this new series called All In. What we're going to talk about are five reasonable habits that you and I need to have in order to grow our faith, in order to know God more, in order to position ourselves so that when the, the wind blows, the Holy Spirit blows, the sail is set In order to have the posture to know God more, we must be involved in these five habits. In fact, if you and I were to go to dinner tonight and you were to say, Mark, I just want to know God more. That's the bottom line. What can I do to know God more? I would say here are five habits that you ought to have in order to know God more. In fact, last night, my wife and I took our kids and we all went out for dinner. And when we were sitting around the table, I said, guys, I know we've been in a transition. We're from Texas, moved to California 10 years. We're back, been here three months, but now we're kind of getting settled into life. And let me just tell you, as kids, I love you more than anyone on this planet. And we're going to talk about things at LifePoint. But I want you to know God more than anything else. I want you to grow in your faith as my children more than anything else. And here are five habits I want to encourage you to begin to do. If you're not doing them, let's pick them back up. But I want my kids to grow. And here are the five habits we're going to be doing as a family. And I want to invite all of us to be doing these things so that we go all in and we experience what Jesus just said in that verse, that you can have life to the full if you go all in. So we're going to talk about those habits. And each week we'll talk about one habit. Today we'll begin with habit number, say it with me. All right, making sure you're with me and you are, I'm encouraged. And at the end of each service, we're going to hand you something in your hand each week that's sort of like a little tool that will help you put that habit into practice. But before we get started, let's have a little bit of fun today. I want to ask you a question. Who is the most famous person you have ever met? The most famous person you have ever met. Now, while you're thinking about that, let me tell you my answer. Now, later today, I'm going to tell you my favorite famous person I've ever met. But first, I want to tell you the most famous person I think is the most famous, and that is Bobby Valentine. Anybody know who Bobby Valentine is? A few of you? Good. That would have been really weird if I'd have said he's famous and nobody's ever heard of him. He used to be the Texas Rangers baseball manager, like back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I remember I was in the Air Force, and I was flying to Colorado, and I was actually here at DFW Airport in line about to board a plane in a line with a bunch of other passengers. I turn around, and somebody looks really familiar, and I'm trying to think, who is this guy? And it dawns on me, and I look at him, and I said, you're Bobby Valentine. 
right? He said, yes, I am. I just wanted to confirm, right? And then I'm so excited to meet Bobby Valentine. I start telling him like all this stuff about why I love the Rangers and so forth. And of course, I'm not being sensitive to the fact that he's just been fired by the Rangers like a year or so ago. He's now headed to Colorado. He's now a scout for the New York Mets. Eventually, he'll be the manager for the New York Mets. And I'm just gushing about the Rangers, right? And he's being very kind to me for like five or ten minutes. Probably was two minutes, but it felt like five or ten minutes to me as I look back in my memory. And eventually, he did what a normal person would do when someone who is a fan becomes a little creepy, which I was doing. He said, and we're about to board the plane, he goes, you know what? I just remembered I needed to do one more thing before we leave. And he left the line, Right? I don't know if he even flew the plane that day, but he wasn't going to hang around me any longer because I was pretty excited to see him. All right, here's what I want you to do. Take 10 seconds and ask the person beside you, who's the most famous person you have ever met? Take 10 seconds. Do that right now if you would. All right, if you're online, if you would just take a minute to put in the comments, who's the most famous person you have ever met? And let's just share it with each other here today. We're really grateful that you're watching with us today online. All right. Hopefully you've had a chance to do that. Let's start over here. You've had plenty of time. You've asked the person. Hopefully you've shared with them who the famous person is. All right, right over here in this section. What? Right here in this section. One more time. Kathy Tricoli. Okay. Who was it? Karate Kid. Nice. That's impressive. Kenny Rogers. Wow, that's good. Troy Aikman. All right, as a sports fan, you're at the top of the list now. That's impressive. All right. Who? Bill Gates. All right. All right, right here in this section, most famous person you've ever met. Who? Charles Manson? Oh, Charles Stanley. Okay. That's different. You seemed excited about it, and I didn't think that was right. I knew I was hearing that wrong. Charles Stanley. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Who else? Roger Staubach. Nice. That's impressive. All right, right here in this section, most famous person you ever met. Who? Donald Trump. Wow. Who else? Who? Ted Cruz. Wow. We got sports and politics, so we got a theme today. And pastors, not murderers. All right, right here, this section. Johnny Cash. Wow. Muhammad Ali. That's impressive. Kim Kardashian. That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's a lot of followers right there. Matthew West. Nice. Emmett Smith. All right, one more. Vanilla Ice. (laughs) All right, who can beat that? Does anybody have a song on their playlist right now by Vanilla Ice and you'll own it? Nobody. Even the person who's met him doesn't have her hand up. (laughs) All right, right here. Most famous person you've ever met? Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Wow, yeah, okay. Quarterback. Dirk Nowinski, nice. That's impressive. Darren Woodson, that's impressive. All right, one more right here. Phyllis Diller. Why do we laugh when we hear Phyllis Diller? That's just great. You had your hand up, sir. What was 
Ross Perot, nice. All right, well, last section right here. Most famous person you ever met. This is your shot. Shout it out. Chuck Norris. Chuck? Wow. That's impressive. All right, anybody else? Yeah. Who was it? Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Wow. Very impressive. All right. So today, now you got to quit shouting them out. We got to get the message going here, all right? I appreciate it, but that's enough. All right. So today, we're going to look at a person who was incredibly famous. Everybody knew about him, but nobody knew him. He's one of those people who was famous for the wrong reason, but he was famous. And if you've got your Bible, I want you to see this incredible story. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. And this story in it, Jesus is going to give us habit number one in how we can grow our faith with God. And it's an incredible story I want you to see. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look in front of the pew or front or behind. You'll see a Bible. Grab it. Look at the table of contents, find the book of Mark, go to chapter 5, and that's where we're going to pick up today, all right? Mark chapter 5, let's look together at verse 1 at this famous guy for the wrong reasons. Let me give you context real quick. What's happened is in Mark chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, Jesus has come to earth, he's begun his public ministry, and he's performing all these great miracles. Chapter 1, chapter 2, he's been baptized, and he's he's healing people, and, and, and he's going and he's speaking in ways that are just shocking people. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 5, all this has taken place just north of Jerusalem around Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And now for the first time, he's going to cross the lake. He's going to cross the sea and go to the other side where non-Jewish people live, the Gentiles. And in crossing the lake, he will go and not be known at all because he's just some Jewish rabbi from the other side of the lake. And that's where we pick up the story. In Mark chapter 5, it says in verse 1, they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went across the lake, this is an historic moment, to the region of the Gerasenes. This is really called the Decapolis often. That means there are 10 cities on the other side of the lake where these non-Jewish people lived. And when Jesus got out of the boat, now we meet our famous for the wrong reason guy, a man with an impure spirit, meaning he's demon-possessed, came from the tomb to meet him. And you think, well, that's kind of creepy. So he's like walking through a cemetery on his, seminary, some people would say it's a cemetery. But he was walking through the cemetery on his way to see Jesus. That's kind of weird. Well, no, 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 it actually was more than that, it says. He was walking, he wasn't just walking through. It says this man lived in the tombs. He lived in the cemetery. Now that's pretty creepy, isn't it? He lives there. Now watch, it's it's crazier than that because watch, it says, and no one, could bind him anymore. And you think, why would you want to bind this guy? Have they actually tried, it says? Not even with a chain. So apparently they've tried to bind him with a chain at least once, but watch, it goes on to give more. It says, for he had been bound hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, look at this, this is his reputation, this is where we know, everybody knows about this guy. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. This was his reputation, everybody heard him. And he would cut himself with stones. This man is demon-possessed 
and we see him behaving in a way that is completely wild. And let's be honest, as we live in a modern city, in the modern world, it feels completely foreign to us to see somebody act like this. And yet, if you go to the mission field even today and you go to some of these places, you will see again and again the power of spiritual warfare. You will see the power of demon possession. You see, the, the truth is in our modern world, we sometimes forget what Paul said later in the New Testament when he said, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual warfare that's real, even if it's unseen. It's sort of like going snorkeling and all of a sudden you go under the water and you go, holy cow, there's a whole world underneath here that I've not been aware of or that I've not been enjoying. But when I bring my head back up, there's a whole other world that I'm used to seeing and I'm most aware of. But it doesn't mean that other world doesn't exist. And in the same way, there's spiritual warfare going on and we see a real big picture of it right here. And notice, when Jesus goes to the other side, that's who he goes to. No one else is even aware Jesus is there. They don't care that Jesus is there. They're busy going about their life. They're paying their bills. They're being social. They're going to their jobs. They're doing their commitments. Meanwhile, Jesus shows up and he goes straight to this man who's demon-possessed because Jesus is very aware of the power of the spiritual war that is always going on. Now watch as they begin to have a conversation for the first time, it says. And when this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He fell on his knees. It's, it's as if he's lost all dignity and he's fallen on his knees in front of Jesus. Now, we don't know this man's story, but there's a really good chance that he came from a normal family, that he would have had a spouse, that he may have had a job, he would have had friends, he would have had a home. He would have lived in a normal situation, but at some point he became demon-possessed. And when he did, he lost everything. And because he lost everything, he's not worried about his dignity. He just realizes that God himself has landed on my shore. And he throws himself down on his knees. And he begins to beg in front of Jesus. And listen, here's what I know about this man. And here's what I know about all of us. He came to the end of himself. And that's where he found Jesus. And sometimes... The hardest thing to do, the more we are blessed, is to come to the end of ourselves, isn't it? It's to realize that I don't have enough. I need God the Son. I need Jesus. You see, most people in our culture don't reject Jesus. They just haven't come to the end of themselves yet. And all the people in the garrisons, all the people in the Decapolis, and all ten cities have just not come to the end of themselves yet. But this man has. And he throws himself before Jesus. And he's on his knees. And it's not as if he gets there and he says, okay, Jesus, I want to be reverent here. I just want to say a couple of things. Watch the way he begins to talk to Jesus when he has this moment. It says, he shouted at the top of his voice. And he said, what do you want with me, Jesus? And he gives his title, Son of the Most High God. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, 
And we get context for why he said that. For Jesus had said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. In other words, Jesus is talking to the demons and saying, you will come out of him. And this man is saying, don't tease me, God. If you're going to free me in this moment, do it now. Do it here. Don't wait. I can't wait any longer. I've been on the outside. No one, no one knows that I'm here or cares about me. They just know of me. People in the town tell their children around the dinner tables, don't go to that one tomb where that guy cries out, where that guy cuts himself, where that guy can't be bound. They talk about this guy all the time, and he knows he's on the outside with no hope of ever returning. And now God shows up, and he's begging, please, please free me from my chains. These chains that are within me, these demons that are controlling me. And maybe you find yourself today walking in and you put on a face like everybody else and you're trying to pretend like everybody else, but deep down there's something and you are coming to the end of yourself. Let me give you good news. That's where Jesus will meet you and he has the power to free you just as he is about to do with this man. Now watch what Jesus says. And this next part may cause the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up. Look what it says. Then Jesus asked him, he's not talking to the man anymore, now he's talking to the demon within the man. And he said, what is your name? And the demon responds, my name is Legion. Which back in the first century would have been an army that was made up of about 6,000 people, a legion. And we don't know how many demons are in this man, but he makes it very clear with what he says next. For we are many. Well, no wonder he has these supernatural powers. No wonder he's so tormented and so um, just imprisoned by this power. And he begged Jesus again and again, the demon, not to send them out of the area. Now, this is a crazy scene, right? And over the next few verses, all the way through verse 17, what we're going to see, there are going to be three requests that are made from three different groups of people. First, from the demons themselves, they will request of Jesus, don't just cast us out away from this region, but instead specifically cast us into a herd of pigs in the area. I don't know why, but... That's the request of Jesus. Jesus does it. They end up jumping off a cliff. They drown. And the herd of pigs are completely uh, demolished. And guess whose attention that gets? The people who've been busy back in the city. When you start costing them money, they show up. They show up on the scene and they see what's going on. And now they have a request of Jesus. And they said, now listen, here's what we want you to do. Leave. I know you're God. But when you show up as God and you start disrupting our world and taking us out of our comfort zone, we would rather you not be here than be uncomfortable. And this is what they requested Jesus to simply leave and go back where you came from and go to the other side. Can you imagine? And then there's a third request, and this is the most tender of all. From the man who had been healed, he now makes a request of Jesus and he says, Can I just follow you? Can, can, can I go with you? I just want to sit in the boat with you. I want to go where you go. I want to walk in your footsteps. I want to hear you teach. I want to see you be compassionate. I want to know your love personally. Can I just follow you? It's this really tender request. Look at it. It's in verse 18. It says, So Jesus was getting into the boat, 
And the man who had been demon-possessed, I love that it's past tense now. He's sane, he's normal, he's free, finally. Begged to go with Jesus. Isn't this this beautiful moment? A beautiful request. You know what this guy is essentially saying? He's saying, I want to go all in. I want to go all in. Wherever you go, Jesus, I am in, in, in. What you want me, you want to send me wherever I'm going. It's big. I don't want to just passively walk through this life. I want to go all in. And watch how Jesus shockingly responds to this request of this man who wants to go all in. Look at the next few words. It says, Jesus did not let him. Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. No. He says no to somebody who wants to follow him, who wants to go all in. Is it because he suddenly is not someone who loves? Is he no longer compassionate? Has he forgotten what his mission is? This is God the Son. What he's revealing here is that if you really want to go all in with Jesus, there's something you've got to begin to do first. And he's about to reveal this to this man. There's something better than sitting in the boat and walking close to Jesus personally. There's something, a higher priority in Jesus' mind than just always being someone who's being fed, 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 fed. Before you do that, Jesus says, I'm not going to let you go. Instead, watch what he tells the man. And this is going to reveal our habit number one. Jesus did not let him. Instead, he said, go home to and say these next three words out loud with me. Your own people. I want you to go to your own people. In the original language, this is the word oikos, which is like your extended household. Not only your family and friends, but it could be your neighbors, your co-workers, the people at the gym, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your life. You have a tribe of people that you're already doing life with. And Jesus looked at this man, and what he reveals is, I have strategically placed them in your life so that you will share me with them. I have supernaturally placed them in your life so that you will share Jesus with them. Think about that. If that's true, and we see this all throughout the New Testament, that means there are people already in my life. I don't have to go searching for them. They're already in my life. And Jesus has supernaturally placed them there so that I will share Jesus with them. You may be asking, well, I don't exactly know how to do that. I haven't been to seminary. I don't know the Bible. They're going to ask a question that I'm not going to know the answer to. Well, think of this man. He's been saved like minutes, right? He's been freed. He's not been to seminary. He didn't even have, there is no New Testament. And so Jesus reveals to him what he is supposed to share. And it's the exact same thing that we should share too. I want you to see it. It's profoundly simple. Jesus said he would not let him, but said, go home to your own people. And here's what you tell them. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. That's all you need to do. You don't have to convince them. You don't have to corral them in any way. You don't have to talk them in to something. I just want you to share what God's done for you and how much mercy he's had on you. In other words, this is the greatest opportunity for your lifetime and mine or the people that God has already supernaturally placed in my life and I'm simply supposed to go and tell them what God has done for me. That's it. 
That's it. Now, I mentioned earlier that I shared a story of Bobby Valentine, maybe the most famous person. Now I want to share to you my favorite famous person that I've ever met, and that is a pastor just down the road, Pastor Chuck Swindoll. Several years ago, I had an opportunity. I'm going to tell you, Chuck Swindoll, for me, is somebody that I just really respect. And years, for decades, I've been listening to him on the radio. I've been reading his books. I've been uh, just learning. And what I love about this pastor is he makes the word of God come to life in such a profound way. And he's so faithful to it. He has so much integrity. He's 86 years old. And he continues to be faithful to the word. And so I went to him and just had an opportunity to conference. He has no idea who I am. He still doesn't to this day. By the way, if you have connections, I'd love to have dinner with Chuck Swindoll. But anyway, I went and I met him. And all of a sudden, I got this picture. And now when I show you this picture, you don't question whether or not he exists. You don't question whether or not he's had an impact on me. And I'm not trying to convince you to love him. I'm just telling you how much he's impacted my life and how excited I am to have known him or to have met him. This is the way we share the story of Jesus in our life, God in our life. I don't have to convince you that he exists. My job is just to share how he's impacted me. It turns out that your story is your celebrity picture with God. Because nobody's going to question whether or not he exists when you tell your story. Nobody's going to question whether or not he's impacted your life. It's just another picture of God in their life now. And you get to share it. This is what Jesus is revealing to you and me now. This is not only our opportunity, this is our responsibility. Now you wonder, okay, so he tells this guy, go back. By the way, he doesn't tell him, just go back and start praying for people. No, he says, I want you to share Christ with people. Tell what God has done in your life. Don't just sit, don't just hope, don't just talk about the need. I want you to share God. You've got to open your mouth at some point and say, Jesus, right? Now, I want you to see what happens as a result of this man doing exactly what God told him to do. This is our last verse we have time for today. Look at verse 20. It says, So the man went, as God told him to, Jesus told him to, he went away and he began to tell the people in the Decapolis. And this is interesting, not just in the Gerasenes. Now he's going to all the region, like Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, right? He's going bigger and he's beginning to tell people, what is he telling them? How much Jesus had done for him. He's doing exactly what God had told him to do. And watch this, and all the people were amazed. I guess so. Oh, so you're the guy that used to be in the, oh yeah, we've heard about you. You look sane now. Now what did God do again? It's such a dramatic story. Now here's what I love about this story. There's a fascinating ending to it, I believe, in that, in the rest of Matthew, or Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes back across the lake. He starts performing miracles again with the Jewish people. Chapter 6 does the same thing. Chapter 7 does the same thing. Then at the end of chapter 7, guess what he does? He goes back across the lake again. And this time, instead of no one but a demon-possessed man waiting on him, a crowd is waiting on him. I don't know how long it's been, if it's in days or weeks or months. And the Bible doesn't say why there was only one man before and now why is there a crowd. I can't help believe this demon-possessed man, once he became free, he couldn't stop telling people, just like Mark chapter 5, verse 20 says. And then it says in chapter 8, Jesus sat down and fed 4,000 people. And I can't help but think in the middle of that crowd, there's one man with a smile who sits there quietly with scars on his arms, 
who's been transformed, and he looks around and he knows why you're here and you're here and you're here and you're here. And oh man, I love that you went and told them and you went and told them. And look what God is doing in our midst. A revival is taking place, not because anybody's been a great speaker, not because anybody has a great building, not because anybody has great music, not because anybody has great programming. A revival is taking place because there was a life that was changed and then he couldn't stop talking about the God who changed him with the people in his life. And now a revival of thousands is taking place and it began in a tomb with a demon-possessed man. And it can begin here too. It can begin here too. We just have to come to the end of ourself. And then we have to realize that God has already supernaturally placed people in our life who don't know him. And he has put them there so that we can be the ones who will share Jesus with them. Here's what I believe of all of us is we want to see a spiritual movement at some point in our life. We want to see God change lives in ways we can't explain. It cannot be explained any other way than a supernatural God transforming people's lives. And if we're going to see that in Collin County, I suspect it may very well happen right here in Plano. If we're going to see it here in Plano, I think it'll happen in the churches amongst God's people. And if it's going to happen in the churches here in Plano so that there can be revival in Collin County, maybe it'll begin right here at Life Point Church. And maybe if it's going to begin at Life Point Church, it'll begin with the people who are in this room right now who will finally say, I am coming to the end of myself. I know people have been placed in my life so I can share Jesus with them. And I am committing right here, right now to be faithful to regularly share Christ with those people. And what if over the next few years we see people come to Christ and one day we point back to moments like this and say this is when it started this was the moment when I came to the end of myself and I went all in for Christ and lives are here being changed people are in these pews who don't know Jesus now who years from now will know Jesus and they will be trophies of God's grace because we went all in I'm telling you church our greatest sphere of influence are the people closest to us right now. They are, the people who are closest to us, they are our primary mission field. We don't have to go looking for people who don't know Jesus. We are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, and he has put them there so that we can share Jesus with them. Here's the challenge, let's be honest. The longer you've been a follower of Jesus, the less likely it is you know people who don't follow Jesus. Because we keep insulating ourselves more and more and more. And God, forgive us. It's time to begin to pray. God, would you reveal people who don't know Jesus? And I promise you, he will answer that prayer every time. This is our opportunity, church. Now listen, if the last thing Jesus said before he left this earth was the great commission that we always reference in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, verses 19 through 20, where he says, I want you to go and make disciples. And then he specifically says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And when you do that, I will be with you to the end of the age. I want you to baptize. That means you've got to be sharing Christ with people who don't yet know him. And then you teach them to obey. This is holistic discipleship. It's got to be both. It can't be either or. It's got to be both and. And the best illustration I can think of is this airplane. Now, on this airplane, we have a visual of that, I believe. It should, on one side, it says sharing Christ. On the other side, it says building believers. 
Now, Ginger and I, just on a side note real quick, my wife and I, just this past week, we had the, the honor of, of celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. And we're excited. Thank you. So we got to go on a quick trip, and when we were gone, we got to the airport. We didn't look at that plane and think, oh, why does this thing have two wings? This one of these are so unnecessary. Let's just take one of these off and just fly with one. No, we, we need both wings, right? In the same way, sometimes as churches, we'll say, okay, let's do one or the other. Or as Christians, we'll say, I'll focus on one or the other. But God doesn't give us that option. He says, I want you to baptize and I want you to teach. I want you to baptize and I want you to teach. I want you to share Christ and I want you to be built up and to build up others. And so there must be a balance in this holistic discipleship. And right out of the gate, when this man wanted to follow Jesus from the garrison, Jesus said, no, before that, your primary job is to share Christ with people who don't yet know me, who are already in your world. And that is the fastest thing to forget to do as a Christian, is we jump to the other side of the plane and we say, I'm going to be built and to help others build. And that's a profoundly important thing to do but we forget to do the primary mission that we were called to do. He's placed people in our lives so that we will share Christ with them. And we can't forget it. Now, as I said, imagine what could be years from now if we commit, if we commit to share Christ. So here's what I want to do. On your way out, I said we want to give you a tool each week. On your way out today, we're going to give you a little magnet. Looks like this. And, And this is just something you can put on your fridge, you can put on your mirror, you can put in your car, you can put in some place that you will see it every day. And I want to encourage you to write down three names of people that you already know who are far from God and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you only have one name, then pray God will give you two more so you can fill out the entire thing, all three names. And you may say, look, Mark, I got people in my life who don't know Jesus, but let me tell you, they are not easy to love. Well, neither am I and neither are you, right? But the truth is, I think this is an opportunity for us to pray, God, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to see these people you've placed in my life the way you see them. And I'm going to pray they come to Christ every day. But here's the way I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray a very specific way. Don't just pray that they come to know Christ and somebody introduces them. I'll be honest with you, that doesn't take any boldness. Here's a much more bold prayer. God, bring them to Christ And use me in the process. Use me, God. Let me share Christ with them. And let me just tell you, here's a warning. If you pray for people who don't know Jesus, don't be surprised with increased opportunities for you to share Christ with them. It just happens every single time. So here's the habit I want to invite you to consider. I'm trying to be nice and say it that way, but let me tell you what I really, really feel. I think you ought to do this because I believe Jesus wants us to do this. I want you to take this and fill it out with three names and then commit to pray for them every single day from here forward until they come to know Christ and you mark them off and you put somebody else's name there. Because God wants to do that, and he's placed you in their life to help accomplish that. It may be a five-second prayer. It may be a five-minute prayer. But it's just a quick prayer. Look, as we said before, if all your prayers were answered this week, would anybody be better off other than you? Well, if we're praying for someone every single day, even if it's five seconds or five minutes, in a place we can see it, oh, imagine what God 
wants to do. Imagine his spirit being unleashed in our church. All right, let me close. Two questions. Number one, who has God supernaturally placed near me that is not a follower of Jesus? Then number two, will I begin praying daily for three people in my life who are far from God, whom Jesus has supernaturally and strategically placed in my life so that I may share Jesus with them. How do I do that? To share what he's done in my life. Let's pray. Father, we know that this man in Scripture so wanted to follow you and just be with you and to, and to grow in his relationship with you. And you reveal that the first step is to faithfully share Christ with the people you've already placed in our life. That neighbor I have isn't there by happenstance. The family, the friends, the coworkers, the people at my school, the people at my gym, they're not there on accident. I've been placed there. They've been placed there so that I would share Jesus with them. God, help us be on mission and pray for these people every single day. May we not forget our purpose. Oh, how you love God, help us to share your love with them. Use us, God. Use us in a supernatural way. May something special begin here today. Would your spirit move and empower us to be witnesses? I pray it all. In Jesus' name, amen.